conversation that we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. We are back at Peace Coffee, our beautiful Peace Coffee studios, uh, <laughs> as we are getting ready to watch Murder on the Orient Express. I am your host, Tim Wick, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, movie conductor, Melissa Kersher. Hello. And movie, I don't know, uh, person who shovels the coal. Bellhop. Bellhop. <laughs> something like that. Do bellhops happen in hotels? Anyway, Jenny well, Young. Well, they, That's they me. Have, what are the, the luggage people? The, the, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the point yeah. is, Jenna's here. <laughs> and Melissa's here. Yay. And Jenna, of course, has not seen this film. So, Jenna. What do you know about Murder on the Orient Express? I know it's got the longest list of rock star names ever. Yes. Um, it's true. It's got I, David I, Bowie. No, wait. No, no, no Bowie in this one. Um, oh, man, a remake that's all rock stars? Oh. oh. Okay. Anyways, Who would David Lee Roth play? I don't want to know. <laughs> no. Never mind. Um, so, yeah, there's just like this huge list of uh, well-knowns that are involved with this. It is a film noir. Uh or at least it's been described to me as a film noir. Um, and I believe there's a train involved. Huh. Train. Mm-hmm. The train mm-hmm. might, yeah, yeah. may or may not be the Orient Express. <laughs> right? <laughs> it could, it could be. The, the so, famed Orient Express that ran from Paris to Istanbul for... For many, many since, years. Since and like then 1880s didn't. and then... Yeah. I, th- I think it does again because there's a nostalgia thing going on with trains these days. So I, I think it actually shut down in 2009. Did it? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. stupid Orient Express shutting down. Yeah. So, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, I think uh, the things that we can say without spoiling too much, mm-hmm. uh, it is based on an Agatha Christie novel by the same mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it is a, a whodunit nice. kind nice. of film. And, uh, it, it features one of her most famous characters, Hercule Poirot, the Belgian detective. Ooh, yes. yes. Played by Albert Finney. Uh, this film was nominated for several Oscars. Albert Finney was nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and a few other awards as well. Cinematography and Ingrid Bergman got one for her role and uh, yeah, a couple other things. It was- but yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing in that it has this remarkable cast of, uh, of classic Hollywood actors sort of in the twilight of their career as well as actors who were in the prime of their career when this film was made uh, remarkably remarkably well done cast mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's kind of one of the big things I bring up the Oscars if only because we're watching this movie at the trial and movie theater on Oscar night right now right. Uh-huh. they're handing out an Oscar for something and we are not watching <laughs> which, which is a shame because uh, Tim and I are all about Oscar night and we this, are this is the last the last time I missed Oscar night was like decades ago. <laughs> I know it, it, it really makes me very sad. I mean, oh, I'm looking forward. Out. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie, but yeah. but the, the timing I, stinks I feel a little. Bad. I usually uh, watch for all of the pretty dresses, and uh, instead I spent the time in Goodwill. So you know, what else? Hey, you know. So we'll see if there are any pretty dresses in the movie to help make up for it. <laughs> I don't know if there are, but there is a pretty train. The train part, uh, yeah, that is correct. And odd, you know, trains figure heavily heavily in uh, in real education films. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we 
bring in a lot of trains. We, we bring them in we very often. We need some often. planes and some automobiles. Yes. Indeed. Yes, Indeed. we do. Perhaps more because we're really, really far ahead on trains. Yeah, and well, maybe we need to do strangers on a train and then call a moratorium on trains for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Oh, but the trains are so great. Yes, they are. Uh, I am going to say it's not a film noir. I guess oh. we, we yeah, don't need it, to... It is a mid-70s film. It was made in 1974. Oh, okay. and, uh, it, but it's it's a good old mystery. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I said, adapted from Agatha Christie novel. There are several films adapted from Agatha Christie novels, and this was her favorite. Okay. And actually, I think it was the only one she liked at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that would have to be favorite. Huh? Well, there you go, by default. Mm-hmm. Um, having read the book, uh, it is... I, I think one of the reasons it was probably nominated for adaption, adaptation is because it is a very solid adaptation of the source material. Um, if you've read the book, I don't believe there will be any surprises here. But, uh, fortunately, Jenna has not th- read the book, so she has no, no idea. This will be fun. No, I read I Ten Little Indians. That's good, too. Uh, it's a good book. Ten Little Indians, uh, believe it or not, uh, has uh, nothing to do with this film, except... <laughs> it was written by Agatha Christie. It's written by Agatha Christie. Right. So... And uh, there are certain assumptions, having been written about Agatha Christie, that you could make. But I'm not going to spoil that. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Because I think we should just go watch the movie. I okay. think we should just go watch the movie. So uh, we will join you after we've watched the film, perhaps with audience members, or perhaps not, because they're all... Watching the Oscars. <laughs> right. We'll catch you on All the right. flip side. Enjoy right. the movie. And we are back. We have just finishing finished watching Murder on the Orient Express here at the lovely Trilon Movie Theater. Uh, Jenna, this was your first time watching Murder on the, yes. on, on the Orient Express. And tell us, what did you think of this film? I think, for me, the entire film can be summed up in uh, guys in fezes playing good ship lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> and that was early. That was, that was early. Really it was early, early in the film there were guys in fezes playing good ship lollipop. It, it set the mood, you say. <laughs> it, it, right? sets, yeah. it sets the tone. Um, so uh, hopefully uh, those listening at home have watched this movie because there will be spoilers yeah. in this in this part of the conversation because of course this is a whodunit. This is an Agatha Christie and uh, you know Agatha Christie was kind of famous for writing. She wrote a lot of books and they were all murder mysteries and she always had to come up with an interesting way. Oh yeah. To reveal the killer because the fact is that after a while her readers were getting used to. Fig- oh, yeah. trying she, to figure out who wrote, the killer was. She wrote something on the order of, oh, I wrote wrote it down, but the, the, like 65 murder mystery books and uh, 66 detective novels, 14 short stories, uh, short story collections, and six romance novels. So they weren't no. all murders. They were not all. No idea. Yeah. But uh, Guinness Book of World Records named her the most, the, the best-selling novelist of all time. She has sold something on the order of two billion books. Yeah. I, I seem to recall when I was young, my parents had darn near every single one of her books. And so I've read a great many. And it's true, once you start reading them, you start going, all right, well, what's the crazy twist she's going to put on the murder this time? On this time, Because, of course, everybody has motive. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you would, 
there's somebody you'd be, well, like, they're not the person. But, of course, the minute you go, well, they're clearly not the murderer, that inevitably is the one mm -hmm. that ends up being, in the, being, being the murderer. So, of course, in this one, what she said is, well, what the heck? I'll just have them all be the murderer. <laughs> All y'all are murderers. <laughs> so that, so that as uh, as as uh, the the head, head of the line, as each one of them walks out, and he's mm -hmm. like, "She did it. He did. It. He's right every time." <laughs> right. I love it so much. <laughs> so, much uh, so uh, this is a '70s film uh, filled with with uh, an amazing cast, a yeah. cast of people oh. from just about everybody who has a speaking role is unbelievably famous. Mm -hmm. um, amongst this entire cast, their their net worth in terms of Oscars, as they're you know all since together, it's Oscar it's pretty, night, since it's Oscar night, um, amongst everybody in this movie, um, they as a whole have garnered throughout their careers like fifty eight Oscar nominations and fourteen Oscar wins. One of whom, Ingrid Bergman, one, won an Oscar for this film. Yes, in, in uh, one five minute unbroken take. That's basically the majority of her performance That's, in this film. That is and, the majority of her got, performance. She got a Best Supporting Actress award for that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you, I mean, you've got Michael York, and mm -hmm. this is a, early in his career. You've yes. got Ingrid Bergman and uh, and Lauren Bacall near the uh, not the end of their career. Lauren Bacall only died was it last year or the year before? Uh, yeah. But she only she only passed away recently. But uh, certainly closer to the end of her career than the beginning uh, for Lauren Bacall. You have John Gielgud. Uh, you have... And John Gielgud, who, whenever he's on screen, is like, I'm better than everybody here. <laughs> that is a man who walks around with his own orchestra of gravitas in, in his wake. You know, he just True. has that... It's like, wow, that's Sir John Gielgud. You have Albert yeah. Finney, who's still uh, working in film. Yeah. And has five Oscar nominations, no wins, but he was nominated for his portrayal of Poirot. One mm -hmm. of the interesting things about Poirot uh, is Poirot is written to be somewhere in his mid-50s at the time of this film. Finney was 37, mm -hmm. so they had a rather elaborate makeup job. And I was reading that he was doing, uh, while they were filming, he was also performing in a play in London's West End. Yep. And so he'd be up very, very late doing his performance and knowing that he's an English actor one assumes drinking after the show but we don't know that for sure <laughs> anyway no, uh, I think we can he was up that. he was up very late doing his performance and then he had a very early makeup call so because he was so sleep deprived during the shoot of this film they would pick him up in an ambulance carry him out to the ambulance in hopes that they could let him sleep a little longer yeah. and as they were driving him to the film set they were applying makeup on him while he was asleep yeah because so. it was like four hours of makeup every day he was just buried in makeup he's almost unrecognizable as Albert Finney mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, again, just uh, really good. And Sidney Lumet is our director. Yeah. Sidney Lumet, um, one of the great directors that never won an Oscar mm -hmm. for anything. Uh, he he started making movies in 1957 and basically made one movie a year until 2007, and then passed away a couple years later. Um, you know, just a workhorse of a director. Um, he's not a flashy director, but his Films often have humanist themes and, um, uh, you know, uh, social, they attack social issues. Not so much this one, 
but uh, he's also famous for stuff like Dog Day Afternoon and The Verdict and um, nine, um, uh, 12 Angry Men is probably mm-hmm. his biggest one. Mm-hmm. But uh, wonderful directors, a- actors loved working for him because um, they, they could collaborate with him very well and he directed a lot of people to Oscar winning and Oscar nominated performances. So, so he was an Oscar catalyst. He was an Oscar catalyst. Eventually he got to the point in his career where the Academy just went, just just give him an Oscar for something, and they gave him an, Osc- an honorary Oscar, because it's one of those things like, oh, God, he's never won anything. We, we should do something about that. Yeah, honorary really. Oscars are the words they get when somebody's almost dead, and they're like, crap, we've never given him an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they did that to Peter O'Toole. Yeah. He, who had been oh. nominated like seven times and never won, and they finally like, just, just give him... Yeah. Him an Oscar. I, I wrote down the quote from Sidney Lumet about the Oscars. He says, I wanted one, damn it, and I deserved one. <laughs> nice. There you go. So, there you wow. go. Yeah. And he finally got one. So, um, Agatha Christie, as we mentioned in the, in the intro, uh, really despised every other film made from her books. Yeah, she really did not like anything that was produced from her works until this one and she really enjoyed this adaptation and uh, in fact uh, she was at the film's premiere she really enjoyed it and um, about a year later she passed away her appearance at the premiere of this film was like her last public appearance Mm -hmm. and she said Albert Finney's performance as Poirot was the closest she'd seen Mm -hmm. to what she envisioned Poirot to be Sort of this nice. this very very intelligent but dandy. I mean, Poirot yeah. is 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 talked about as a dandy, and he's Belgian. He's not French. <laughs> very important yeah. very to important. note that he's Belgian. Uh, and I, how do you like the little the mustache sling he has? The, <laughs> the, the hairnet and the mustache sling and the the lotion and the gloves and the the snakeskin robe. How much do you want a snakeskin robe yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, what I really want is that white thing with the, the, the red design on the back. Oh, the, the woman's dressing gown? Yeah. yeah. Or how about that big white uh, <coughs> hat with the feathers? Oh, the foof. Oh. Or the, the uh, prince. Is that, a, is that a technical it term? It is. Poof. Yeah, it's right. like an explosion of feathers on yeah. it. Um, so I think the film does a very good job, I think, of misdirection, which is, I mean, the whole, you know, this is this is... Christie's uh, milieu. This is her thing. She sets up. She gives you all sorts of clues to confuse you, so you can't figure out what's really going on. Sure. Um, even though she does, in most cases, tell you enough mm-hmm. to possibly figure it out by yourself. You know, when they're talking about the the, the knife wounds, none of, that don't look like they were done by the same hand, which can immediately make you go, "Well, how many hands were there? There were twelve, and and." Uh, the way Connery's character talks about needing to be tried by a jury of twelve, mm-hmm. uh, and and as you start and as you start to make the connection that all of these people seem to have a connection back to this one kidnapping and murder that our victim is responsible for, um, but it doesn't it doesn't tie it all together, and you don't it doesn't tell you enough to really know until Poirot starts to starts to bring it all together because that's his job. Poirot is our, is our character that's going to bring us into what really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we see the whole thing from his perspective. Uh, and, uh, and then as the, because they're really careful. I mean, there are conversations that happen 
outside of his uh, view. And we never see those unless he's witness to them. Mm-hmm. So when Connery and Vanessa Redgrave have their little conversation on the steamer, he hears that. Mm-hmm. And so we are privy to that private conversation. But there are undoubtedly, and you see, which is, I think, clever, when you know the solution and you can watch these glances that are being passed amongst the characters, um, that tells you that what, what they're doing at the beginning is trying to figure out how we do this thing we were already planning on doing mm-hmm. with a world-famous detective in the cabin next door. How, how great is Anthony Perkins' reaction to Poirot when he kind of barges into the uh, compartment that they're going to share? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, first of all, have you ever seen Anthony Perkins um, play anything that wasn't just a nervous wreck of a character. He <laughs> 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 does it so well. He, he's perfect at it, of oh course. My but, you know, when Poirot walks in, he's like, ah. And of course, you think that's just because he surprises them, but it's also because he's like, I don't think I can do this if I have him sleeping in the same cabin. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy, once you know how it unfolds, being able to watch it again. There's, mm-hmm. there's a... a, a Remarkable amount of rewatchability, I think, to the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in being able to kind of watch the way these characters interact with each other and Poirot before you are aware of their relationship to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Do you have any other uh, wonderful trivia to share with us, Melissa, before well, we uh, uh, elicit questions or well, comments from mo- our audience? It's mostly like name that actor. Um, <laughs> we haven't mentioned Richard Widmark yet, who played the murder victim. Uh, he was a very common face during the film noir era. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Night in the City and a uh, bunch of other stuff like that. And uh, Pick Up on South Street, I think he was in. But... It, it's interesting because I don't recall seeing him pass the film noir era, so it's like, oh my goodness, it's old Richard Widmark. It's it's kind of odd to see, but he's he's kind of famous for playing assholes, so so you know it's pretty appropriate. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Jean Pierre Cassel, who is the uh, uh, French, um, the, the, the conductor, the, not the, the conductor, not the conductor, but the. Um, the dude who works on the train. The dude who walks, the, yeah. the, the lugging, uh, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the name of the job. But yeah. anyway, uh, a French actor, really great in a movie that was made like two years before this called um, Army of Shadows. If you get a chance to see Army of Shadows, that's an astonishing film. Wonderful actor. Yeah. So, yeah, even though actors that we don't recognize, yeah. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. top to bottom you will find every single one of these actors in, in other films. Yeah. Oh, uh, and Ing- Ingrid Bergman, we have any- Ingrid Bergman, yeah. of course, we have, well, except to mention <laughs> And it. Lauren Bacall, and yeah. Vanessa Redgrave, uh, the Sean famous- Sean Connery. Red- Sean Connery. Yeah, he's Bond. there. And the, yeah, the fascinating thing is this is post-Bond. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, a well, lot of people, there, there seem to be, that there, there's kind of a gap in, in his career that a lot of people don't think about, because after he played Bond, he really- didn't become a leading man again until he's he's in his late fifties, early sixties, in the eighties and nineties. Oh yeah, because he was um, typecast and nobody would cast him in any other in any other. But stuff. he was in a lot of films, and so yeah. he he plays this supporting role in uh, this film, and it's it's great to see him there and see that see what Connery's doing when he's not just playing Bond or an action leading man, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's 
that's one of those. Th- the other, the other thing we've all, with real education, it always comes back to a connection to Humphrey Bogart. So, of course, we have <laughs> Lauren Bacall. We have two of his most important leading leading ladies in Lauren Bacall and Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, uh, Bacall, of course, is his wife, be- became his wife, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and they were married when he passed away. Uh, and she, he makes her career, and then she has an incredible career once they are no longer together once he has passed away. Uh, that goes through the 70s into the 80s. She was making movies into the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the 2000s she even had an Oscar nomination again for supporting actress in something, and I'm not looking at it right now, but I seem to recall that, or, or she had buzz for it. So uh, she, very long-lived actress and uh, very accomplished. Yeah. And um, fun to watch. Oh, yeah. So fun. You know, what's fun is, well, and I, there were there were some folks uh, in the second row in the theater who were laughing at a lot of this film, which I thought was too bad because they were laughing at the parts that weren't funny. Um, <laughs> and they were laughing at a lot of the overacting that Bacall is doing in this film, which is, as you, when you reach the end of the film, you're like, oh, that was totally intentional. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point. Mm-hmm. Of what she was doing is she was misdirecting. She was getting Poirot's attention on her so it would not be on figuring out what they had actually done. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think uh, if anybody has questions or comments, you can raise your hand and we would be happy to take those. Uh, otherwise, we can also keep talking. Uh, so feel free to raise your hand. Oh, oh look, boy, there's a hand. Um, Why well, read the book? Right before I saw the movie for the first time, and when I read the book, I thought Mrs. Hubbard was just this grass, vulgar American that mirrors all the other Americans that are, you know, tourists in Europe at the time. Yep. Um, so I had this picture in my mind, and, and Lauren Bacall played a much more classier version. She's still kind of obnoxious, but she wasn't the crass, vulgar, obnoxious sort of American I had in my mind. She was too classy for her. Too, well, Lauren, Lauren yeah. Bacall is pretty bloody classy. Yeah, she'll, she'll a, class anything up. <laughs> she will. and uh, But, of course, she's an actress. She's a classy actress who is trying to behave like the vulgar American. Yeah. Uh, to, again, misdirect uh, Poirot. You know, I mean, the interesting thing is they set this up so they should be able to do it without anybody knowing what happened mm-hmm. if Poirot's not on that train. You know, she doesn't... So all of this is, is essentially an improvisation for those of us who are, who are in the performing arena. The, the entirety of Murder on the Orient Express is set up as an improvisation by this actress who now has to create a character for herself that she would not have otherwise created. Are you, are you saying this is snuff improv? <laughs> did we just come up with the concept of snuff, snuff improv? Well, the, we did not. Agatha Christie came up okay. with it for us. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but as a, as a performer, as a theatrical professional, I do find it fascinating <laughs> that this film, that this story is all about these, all of these characters creating an elaborate ruse, an elaborate performance to mislead this uh, great detective, which of course completely fails and he sees right through it. 
but, but they all get away from it. They all get away with it in the end, so it's all cool. I know. Really. <laughs> it's like it's fine. Morally, Here, let's, let's host a fine murder tonight. Let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the moral ambiguity of the ending, shall we? In the, um, it's a very seventies uh, movie in that way. Yeah. There was a jury of twelve, Tim. It was fine. <laughs> Normally, the jury is not also the executioner, uh, but it's. That's the improv. <laughs> That's the improv. <laughs> yeah. But you, you can you can kind of ask yourself, all right, well this and, and of course what they say he's responsible for five deaths. Mm-hmm. And yet the connection is rather tenuous. Yeah. You know, certainly he's responsible for the death of the kidnapped child. Yeah. Is he necessarily responsible for the death of the mother? Who dies in childbirth? Well, you can't really say that medically that was caused. You know, it's it. They, they, yeah. You know, it, are they responsible for the child that was stillborn? Yeah, I I don't know about that. Maybe are they responsible for the two people who committed suicide? Well, certainly their actions contributed to that decision. But as we know now, it was probably untreated depression. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, Tim. So really, uh, really, is a murder of a child not just not enough for you? Yeah, I th- well, it, it, it could be. It? I think, but the point is, they they have to, they have to, they they through this film, they they set him up to be absolutely reprehensible, not just for the murder of the child, but for the subsequent deaths that result. Right. Um, which maybe a little bit of a stretch as to how responsible he is for those but 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 also he's an asshole so he is an asshole yeah he is an asshole and at the end we see Poirot who's solved the crime and basically said which I, I, I love Poirot because he's he's basically reached the conclusion that these people should not be punished but by God they're gonna know that he knows yeah <laughs> It's like, yeah. I want you to understand that at the end of the day, you did not pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> and that when we all de- Look, leave this... Look, it's really cute what you just tried to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a lot of what's going on in, in, in the end of the film. Now, that, that, that re- reveal at the end, I think, is fascinating for the fact that that speech by Poirot, that speech that Albert Finney does, is eight pages long. It, it, it takes up 28 minutes of the film. It's like a quarter of the movie is the reveal of what happened at the end. Yeah. And it's all one dude. Yeah. Going through the whole thing. The only time anybody else speaks is in a flashback. And then I think there's one point where Michael York can't contain himself because he's a fiery Hungarian. Hungarian. Yeah. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, that entire closing 30 minutes mm-hmm. is Poirot explaining to you what happened the night of the murder. Um, And that's, you you just sit there and go, what, yeah, all right, that would take about eight pages to to do. Um, And I I think that contributed in a large part to why Finney gets the nomination for Best Actor, because he essentially has to carry the most important part of the film, Mm -hmm. uh, while all the rest of the actors do little more than have uh, reactions to the fact that he's clearly sussed them out and and what, then have their champagne afterwards. Yeah. yeah. What, do we sa- do we stab <laughs> him with the letter opener now? I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. So, um, any other? Do you have any other uh, clever or interesting? Well, uh, Albert Finney was in talks to do Death on the Nile as mm. a sequel to this, and 
after he learned that not only would he have to endure the same makeup process again, but also do it in a hundred degree heat, he said no. Uh, well, Death on the Nile, which is another uh, Agatha Christie adaptation, and not as good yeah. as this one. Yeah. Um, but uh, but definitely, you know, I think. Um, there are two adaptations of Ten Little Indians, one of which I believe is called Ten Little Indians, and one yeah. of which is called And Then There Were None. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there, there are actually a considerable number of Agatha Christie adaptations. Also, I would not be surprised, I'm certain you can find this online somewhere, but I wouldn't be surprised if you can find it on Netflix. Uh, there was a TV show in the 80s called Mystery on PBS. Mm -hmm. uh, they did a, an exceptional run of Sherlock Holmes, but they also did a very, very good series of uh, Agatha Christie of her short stories. Yeah. Uh, one that I believe was Hercule Poirot and one was another one of her famous detectives, Miss Mar Marple. It's Marple, right? Marple. Marple, mm -hmm. uh, who's, a, who's a little old lady who solves crimes and knits. Um, yes. Yeah, and she, she's, she's kind of like Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote, only with more knitting. Yeah. 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 Nice. Miss Marple is Jessica Fletcher, only British. Yes, uh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and older. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and not uh, yes, yes. Uh, Angela Lansbury. There's a question. Oh, 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 hey. oh, 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 o
pretty dresses for, for the red carpet. Wham. Yeah. But there were pretty dresses on the train. There were, there were some, some pretty acceptable dresses on the train. What I loved was the first. Yeah. Mm. Just the, the furs and the hats and the, the, the crazy foofy type stuff. How, how about the princess's headdress oh my goodness, of black right? peacock or rooster feathers? Mm -hmm. just, yes. Just, wow. Yeah. How would yeah. you like to just no. walk into a room and just be completely covered in black feathers? That's amazing. She clearly liked it a lot. Yeah. The princess did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that was, there was that. So, so I did get dresses. Yeah. And, and accessories, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, and my final thought, as always, is to remind you that uh, we put out new episodes on the 1st and 15th of the month. So, on the 1st, we will be putting out the episode Murder on the Orient Express. And if you like that, on the 15th, our next movie, I'm very excited to say, is going to be all about Eve. So uh, check us out then. Uh, and we want to thank once again the Trilon Movie Theater for hosting us here. We are working on our next date, which should be in May or May, June, or July. We're looking at what they have coming up and figuring out what we want to host here. We hope you come out and see us again. But uh, thanks for coming out tonight. Everybody have a good night. Thank, thank you. A smattering of applause. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.